Day. We are in our second week of a series we're navigating called Led by Presence. And what we're discovering and kind of working our way through is God's desire for us to be filled with, empowered by, and led by His presence. We looked last week and we talked last week about how the presence of God is absolutely vital to our spiritual lives. It's vital to the life of our church. And what I mean by vital is this, without it, we don't survive. Without the presence of God, we do not survive. And, and we talked about how it's the presence of God that is actually um, where we find the satisfaction for the longing of the human heart. Inside every human being, in every human heart, there is this deep longing for the presence of God. And it's only satisfied in the presence of God because God's presence is our created purpose. It's the, it's the theme, if you will, of the story of God with his people and the story of his creation. So God's presence is central uh, to the scriptures. It is central to our salvation. And it is the central theme for all of eternity. We were saved for the presence of God. We were made for this, and we were saved for this. And so today we're going to be navigating through this idea of what it looks like to make God's presence absolutely central, the centrality of the presence of God. And so that's kind of what we're going to be diving into today. I'm excited. This is always a fun season. Um, if you enjoy the sport of football, the summer drought is over. Something worth watching is going to be on TV. Bless the Lord. You know what I mean? And listen, if you're a baseball fan, I appreciate it. But let's be honest, the Rangers are unwatchable this year, okay? I feel like when I watch them, I just get dumber. I don't know. It's so frustrating watching them play. And so, but we got football coming back. Now, I want you to imagine going into um, the largest stadium you've ever been to. Now, how many of you have been to the new Cowboy Stadium over there in Dallas? You've been in there. Okay, that thing's massive, right? It's enormous. And when you, when you go to the Cowboy Stadium, as you walk in, you're going to walk by all kinds of stuff. You're going to walk by ticket counters, and you're going to walk by concession stands, and you're going to walk by clothing stores and apparel things and, and walk by restaurants, and there's all kinds of activities to do. But what have they set right in the middle of that massive stadium? What's right in the middle? The field, the, the thing where the most important thing is going to happen is right there in the middle of the stadium, right? That's where the stuff that matters is going on, right there. And so now I want you to imagine that um, Super Bowl is going to be at Cowboy Stadium and you got tickets to the game. By the way, if you ever just got spare Super Bowl tickets and you want to take a preacher, I'm ready. I'll take a Sunday off. Let's go. And so... Uh, <laughs> But you, you got tickets to the Super Bowl, right? And you're, you're making your way into that stadium, and those tickets let you go all the way into the game. Now, imagine you go by the ticket counter, but you decide that all you want to experience of the Super Bowl is the concession stand, and that's where you stop. You go that far, and you don't progress any further in. Listen, there are far too many believers and far too many churches that are treating the presence of God like a secondary issue when it's the central issue. 
We're treating it like it's a, a secondary deal. If I have God's presence, great. If I don't, my life really doesn't need it. And we're stopping at the concession stand, right? Now, it isn't that we don't go to church. We do that. We participate in some ministries. We might be in a small group. We, we serve a little. We even read our Bible some. But the truth is, are we giving the emphasis to whether or not we're actually encountering and experiencing the presence of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. Too many believers are spending their Christian life at the concession stand and they're missing what matters most. And so what I am hoping that, that we will take hold of this morning and be captured by is how this power-filled life that, that is ours in Christ Jesus how this power-filled life um, is only possible and only happens through the centrality of his presence in our lives. It is the supremacy of the presence of God that empowers you to live the life God has created you and saved you to have. And so that's what I hope takes hold of us this morning. So grab your Bible and go to Exodus chapter 29. Exodus chapter 29. I'll give a little bit of context while you're turning there um, uh, so that you kind of know where we are in the narrative. We've, we're kind of moving from the fall, which is what we looked at uh, last week uh, when, God, when uh, man was removed from God's presence. You remember last week we looked at how God's presence was in creation. God moved through the fall. God's presence was in redemption. And ultimately we'll see his full presence in the restoration uh, in Revelation 21. And so we're kind of moving from the fall now. And what we begin to see as you navigate through the rest of Genesis are these characters beginning to appear in the story, right? You start to see these, and they're very important. These characters are very important. I'm talking about people like Enoch and Noah and Abraham. And what makes these characters important is that God says something that, that they all have a connection. And the connection they have is God's word says they walked with God. They walked with God. It's this, it's this picture of God beginning to reestablish relationship. Remember, man was removed from God's presence, removed from the garden, removed from fellowship with God. And now in these men like Enoch who walked with God and Noah who walked with God and Abraham who walked with God, he's beginning to reestablish fellowship and relationship so much so that he comes to Abraham and in Genesis 17, he says, Abraham, through you, I'm going to make a nation, a people for my own possession. I'm going to make through you a nation that I will dwell with. And he says in Genesis 17, he says, Abraham, I'm going to establish this covenant with you to be with you and to be God to you and to be God to your people and to dwell with them forever. So God's kind of reestablishing this. And so Abraham has Isaac. Isaac is born. Isaac has Jacob. Jacob is born. And eventually what you see is Jacob's family is taken captive as slaves to Egypt. And for 400 years, the family that God said, I'm going to make a nation out of you, is in captivity in Egypt. Now, here's something beautiful that happens. While they're in captivity, 
even under the oppression of slavery and bondage, they begin to grow as a nation. They begin to multiply. Their numbers begin to grow. Why? Because God's establishing for himself a people. Now listen, there's a side note. When God made that promise to Abraham in Genesis 17, he said, I'm going to make a nation, and I'm going to bless them, and I'm going to be with them. I promise you Abraham didn't have Egypt in mind. Abraham didn't know that's the way God was going to go, 400 years of slavery, right? Sometimes God is going to move us in a direction that doesn't make sense. We're going to talk about that um, a little bit later. But what you start to see now is the nation growing. It's becoming a people for God. And 400 years into that slavery, we see another man come on the scene who walked with God, and that was Moses. And God sent Moses to redeem his people. And so Moses goes up on the mountain. He experiences the presence of God. God speaks to him. God sends him to Pharaoh. And in the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, um, being filled with the presence of God, God uses Moses to redeem his people. And the moment that the people of God are um, liberated from slavery, the moment that they leave Egypt, something unbelievable happens. The moment they leave Egypt, listen to this, God's presence comes. His presence comes. And God's presence comes to them as a pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at night. That cloud, that pillar of cloud that was always before them, and that pillar of fire that went before them, that was the... That was the that signified the manifest presence of God with his people. God was beginning to fulfill that promise he made to Abraham that I'm going to be with them. I'm going to dwell with them and be their God. And what I love about that moment is the moment that, that God redeems them out of slavery, the moment that he brings them into freedom, God affirms for his people I did not set you free from slavery just so you wouldn't be slaves. I didn't set you free from slavery to abandon you, or I didn't set you free from slavery for nothingness. I set you free so that you would have my presence with you and that I would be with you. And so God begins to lead them with that cloud by day and that fire by night. And God leads them for 50 days, and they end, at a, they end up at a mountain called Sinai. And at the foot of the mountain of Sinai, they, they stand there, and Moses goes up on the mountain, and again, the presence of God falls on him. And God gives him the Ten Commandments. But God gives Moses something else on the mountain. God gives him the instruction to build the tabernacle. So think about that. We often miss the fact that God gave more on the mountain than the Ten Commandments. Moses would go back and forth up and down that mountain, and God would give him instruction for building the tabernacle, which would become the single most important place in the life of God's people. There would be no place that mattered more than the tabernacle. And that word is the, the Hebrew word mishkan, which literally means a place of dwelling. That's what it means. God had given Moses the instruction to go and build for me a place where I can dwell with my people. God is continuing in a restricted sense to reestablish relationship and his presence with his people. And this is where we pick the story up in Exodus 29. God is 
telling Moses now why this tabernacle is so significant. Look at verse 43 of Exodus chapter 29. God says this, There I will meet with the people of Israel, and it shall be sanctified by my glory. And I will consecrate the tent, consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. Aaron also and his sons I will consecrate to serve me as priest. And I will dwell among the people of Israel, and I will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. So here's the big idea for today. It's a sermon with one point. It's fantastic. It still almost took me an hour to say earlier. I'm going to be much faster this sermon, right? One point. Here's the big idea. God's presence among us is the central purpose of our salvation and must become the central priority of our life as disciples. I'm going to leave that up for a moment. God's, purpose among, God's presence among us is the central purpose of our salvation and it must become the central priority of our life as disciples. Disciples, meaning what? God's presence is why we are saved. God's presence is the means of our salvation in Jesus Christ, and God's presence is what we pursue as saved people. And God establishes this truth the moment he brought his people out of Egypt, and it is still true for us. So look again at verse 45 and 46 that we just read. Look again at what God says. He says, I will dwell among the people of Israel, and I will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord, their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord, their God. Twice he says, I'm going to dwell among you. Three times he says, I'm going to be their God. There is a picture he is painting with that language, and the picture is, is one of presence. It's one of of possession. God is saying, I want to be with you. I want to belong to you. And I want you to be with me. And I want you to belong to me. I want you to be my people. And I want to be your God. And I'm going to come and dwell among you. I love in verse 46. Just look at that verse very carefully for a moment. They're going to know that I'm the Lord, their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt. And what's that next word? That I might dwell among them. It's an incredibly important word. That indicates purpose. It signifies reason and meaning. God says, here's what I did. Now I'm going to tell you why I did it. I have saved you from Egypt for the purpose of that I might dwell among you. God did not bring his people out of Egypt just for the promised land. Well, don't get me wrong. It's a great bonus. It's also not the point. Canaan was never the point. The point was presence. The point was nearness and relationship with God. That was the point. And this is what God is establishing for them here. God redeemed them so he could be with them. And, I love this, so that he could reset their identity as his people who live in his presence. 
so that he could reset their identity as his people who live in his presence. I want to tell you, this is the purpose of the gospel. This is the purpose of why Jesus came. Jesus did not come to just give us heaven, though that's amazing. Jesus came to give us presence with God. Jesus came as the greater Moses, right? Moses was a shadow. Jesus is the substance. He came as the greater Moses to deliver us from the slavery of sin so that we might experience the presence of God and he might dwell among us. We have been saved for this. It is why Jesus came. Well, I thought Jesus came so that I'd have a better life. Yes, through his presence. I thought Jesus came so that I wouldn't go to hell. Yes, so you could have eternity in his presence. He came to save us so that we might have presence with him through the Holy Spirit and so that he might reset our identity as his. Meaning, in Christ, that's why God's word said, I'm no longer a slave to fear, right? I did not give you a spirit of fear so that you would fall back into slavery, but a spirit of power. This is why God says, um, I have called you children of God. He has come to reset our identity. Has he done that for you? Has your identity be re, been reset in the person of Jesus Christ? He has come to give you access, if you will, into the presence of God. This is what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 12. It says that in Christ Jesus, we have obtained access into the presence of God. This is why Jesus said, I am the way. And no one comes into the presence of God unless they come through me. But when they come through me, they have access. That's what is at the heart of what Jesus is saying here. And the problem with, I think, so many of us is on one hand we hold that we've been redeemed, but on the other hand we aren't walking in the full access to God's presence. It's just become a secondary issue in our life. And Jesus is saying, no, I'm the way, and I have made the way so that in me you have full access into the presence of God. When I was 15, something truly magical happened in my uh, life, and that was I picked up a guitar. And um, it would shape many of my decisions over the next years, Jeff. Some of them good, some of them el terrible. And so um, I started uh, playing guitar. And I grew up in Cason, as, as you know, and there are no guitar stores in Cason because there were no stores in Cason. And so um, I went to the Metroplex one weekend. I was about 16 or 17. I've been playing for a little while. And I go into this massive guitar store. I had never been in one like this. I don't even remember if it was a guitar. I don't know what it was. There were guitars everywhere, rows of them, stacks of them. And I was like, I heard angels singing when I opened that thing. I was like, yep, I'm in heaven. Here we go, if it gets better than this. Uh, but I started taking guitars off the, off the wall, and I would play them, and I was like, oh, my gosh, this is unbelievable. And I noticed in the corner of this guitar store, there was this little room 
that had been kind of squared off back there. And it had some windows, and I looked in the window, and I saw a bunch of guitars in there too. But inside this room, um, even though there were guitars, on the door of this room, it said, Access Restricted. And I went, huh, okay. So I want to tell you a little bit about high school, Matt, because it's a lot about the same about adult, Matt, which is if I'm not supposed to be in there, that's the first place I want to go, right? <laughs> and so I was like, I want to see what, what this room's about. And so an employee who worked there kind of saw me staring, saw this young kid staring in at these guitars, and he says, hey, do you want to come in and play some high-end instruments? And I was like, yes, yes, I do. <laughs> and so he opens the door, unlocks it. It was locked, opens the door, and we go in. And I went from playing the guitars on the wall some of them a few hundred to maybe a few thousand dollars to now I was in a room with guitars that were worth tens of thousands of dollars. And he would take one off the wall, he would hand it to me. Now he stood right beside me because I'm still a 16-year-old holding a $10,000 guitar and he was like, I ain't going nowhere. But all of a sudden I began to experience something with a guitar I had never felt before. There was a, there was a sound that it created and a playability and a warmth and a a comfort in your hand. It was way different than the $200 knockaround I was playing out on the floor. And here I am holding this incredible, it was thrilling. It was, it was so exciting, right? Even now, those were instruments I couldn't afford because Carrie would kill me if I came home with one of them, right? And so, I don't need to commentary. And so, uh, she's always trying to say something. And so, <laughs> and so, now I want you to imagine that there I am in this store, and that employee comes up to me and he goes, hey, kid, you want to go in there and play those high-end instruments unlike anything you've ever experienced before? And I just went, nah, man, I'm good. I'm good. I'll just, I, I know that in that room is the highest and fullest expression of what it means to play a guitar, but I'm going to stand out here and play the cheap knockoff. See where I'm going? We've been given access into the presence of God, into the fullness of His presence. And too many of us are pressing away from that access and just fiddling around with the cheap knockoffs. We're going to the stadium and we're getting no further in than the hot dog stand. But Jesus saved you for more than that. He saved you for more than a comfortable life. Matter of fact, some, some of you may be saved in this room and your life ain't going to be comfortable at all if you live it for his glory. But he saved you for more than that. He saved you for the fullness of his presence. Remember the big idea. God's presence among us is the central purpose of our salvation and must become the central priority of our life as disciples. Now think back to the tabernacle. Think back to this structure that God gives Moses uh, direction to build. God says, I want a place to come and dwell, a place of dwelling for me to dwell with my people. And he gives Moses this instruction and he lays out the design. Listen, in incredible detail, 
with incredible precision. And the detail and, and the precision and the beauty with which God creates the tabernacle was meant to echo the first garden that God created to dwell with his people and to foreshadow the last garden where he will dwell with them forever. God made this beautiful garden in the beginning to be with his people and, and the sin of man took us out of that presence and as God begins to rebuild that, he gives a tabernacle that is beautiful and he gives de detail to every uh, attention to every detail from what goes in it to what it looks like to where things go and what they should be made of. And just like the new garden that is coming in Revelation 21, the point is this, God takes seriously the dwelling place with us. He cares about being with us. The most important uh, part of the tabernacle was called the Holy of Holies. We looked at it a little bit last week. The Holy of Holies, this was that inner room that was separated off and it was where the glory of God manifested, dwelled. And in that room was the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark, according to God's word, was the throne of God. It was the resting place of his presence, his throne. And so the ark was in the, in the Holy of Holies, which meant the throne of God was inside the throne room of God so that God would dwell in the Holy of Holies as their king. And because the tabernacle was his palace, they set it right in the center of the camp. Right in the middle. I want to show you a picture to just kind of help us understand this a little bit. It's kind of crudely drawn. I didn't draw it, but... Uh, kind of crudely drawn, but it helps us get a, get a picture of what I want us to have in mind, right? God's throne, his throne room is in the Holy of Holies in the middle of the tabernacle, and the tabernacle was set right in the middle of the camp, and God had communicated every tent was to be around it and to be facing it. Why? Because this was a visible, uh, physical reminder that God's presence was to be at the center of life for God's people. When they woke up and walked out of their tent, God said, the first thing I want them to see is that I'm with them and I'm dwelling among them. When they go into their tent at night, it's the last thing I want them to experience is seeing where my presence is dwelling. And here's the point. God didn't set it up for him to dwell around his people anywhere they wanted to go, leading whatever kind of life they wanted to live. He set it up so that he said, no, I'm going to be in the center and you orient your life around my presence. Make it the central priority. Draw near to me and I will draw near to you. And that's what you see. It's how God set that up. You see this idea continued in Exodus chapter 40 when the tabernacle is finished. So now it's finished and they are waiting on the presence of God to, to fill it. Look at Exodus chapter 40. Turn over a few pages there and we're going to be in verse 34. Exodus chapter 40, verse 34. It says this, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. 
And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And throughout all their journeys, wherever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, they did not set out until the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, and in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Again, we see this cloud by day settling over it. We see the fire by night dwelling in it, God's presence among his people. And I love that it says it was in sight of all the people. Again, it's that, it's that, it's that picture of it being their focus always on the presence of God. And did you notice something that said really important there? It said, when the cloud was taken up, the people would take up camp and they would go. But if it was not taken up, they did not move until it was taken up. What does that mean? It means this. When God moved, they moved. Where God moved, they went. When God stopped, they stopped. And if God didn't go, they didn't go. His presence was the central priority of their life. That's what it was. And the same is true for us. God's presence among us must become the central priority of our life as disciples. What does that look like? It looks like this. It looks like what it looked like for Israel. His presence was always in their sight. They focused on it. They pursued it. He led. They followed. Over in Numbers chapter 9, it gives a little more um, information about that, a little more commentary, and it says that there would be times where God's people would wait days and weeks and months without moving because they refused to go until God began to lead them. Lord God in heaven, give us a desire for the centrality of your presence in our lives that is so deep and so desperate that we can't help but move with you and we refuse to move without you. Do you have that desperation for the presence of God? See, my, the angst in my heart, both over my own spiritual condition and yours and our churches, is that we can affirm with our mouth the priority of God's presence, but the reality is we've built a life that's just become apathetic to it. We've built a life that we just don't need God's presence. Oh, we want his blessing. We want Canaan. We want the promised land. But remember, that's not the point. And so we've built lives that just don't need the presence of God. And God has said that is the equivalent of going to the Super Bowl and stopping at a hot dog stand and calling that the game. 
He says, I'm, I'm drawing you into something deeper. There is a, there's a, an experience of my presence and you have full access to it. And it is deeper than anything you can imagine. And that's, this is the model for us. This is the model of what the Christian life is supposed to look like. This is what the life of a disciple looks like. It is the person of Jesus and the power and presence of the Holy Spirit at the center of our lives. I believe this is what is at the heart when Jesus says, abide in me in John 15. Come abide in me. Come and make me the center. I think it's what is at the heart when he says, I want you to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Let me lead. Be centered on my presence. Be led by my presence. It's what Paul meant in Galatians 5. We looked at it Wednesday night at the prayer when he said, we have got to walk in the Spirit We've got to be led by the Spirit. We have to live in the Spirit and keep in step with the Spirit. What's the point? That we are to be a people in pursuit of the presence of God and we won't relent until we have it. There are things in my life that I feel like I need in such a way that I don't relent until I have them. And God is saying, in that way, but so much more, you should pursue my presence. Nearness to me, relationship, intimacy, fellowship with me. Because listen, I said without it, it's vital. Without it, we don't survive. We're lost without it. We're powerless without it. That's why every Wednesday night when we get in this room, we beg God for it. His presence, his power to fall on us because we need his leading, amen? We need his direction. We need him to guide. We need him out in front. We need to be caught up in his wake, not us leading our own lives, hoping he'll just come and stamp it and go, great job, Matt, that's good enough. No, I need to be behind his leading, following where he's going. When God led Israel out of Egypt, they had no hope of ever making it to the promised land. No hope. None. They didn't know where to go. They didn't have the power to get there. They were desperate for God's presence to lead them and empower them. And we are no different. We are no different. We desperately need the presence of God and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, leading us. And listen, this presence, it should mark us. The presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives should absolutely mark us. It should stain us. Paul said in Romans 8, 14, he said, all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. Why? Because it becomes a stamp on our lives. Something powerful happens when we become to be, when we are being led by the presence of the Holy Spirit. When we're being led by the presence of God. When we begin to be led by His presence, we become the people of God, empowered by the presence of God set out on the mission of God. 
You with me? We become the people of God who are led by the presence of God, experiencing the power of God and accomplishing the mission of God. I mean, can I just ask you, as I ask myself, is that what you want for your life? Do you desire that? Because if your honest confession this morning is, I don't really desire that. I, I feel fine. I don't desire that I need to live my life on the mission of God, empowered by the presence of God. And if that's you, listen to me. If you're coming to that place, your prayer today is that the Holy Spirit of God would crack your heart open. And he would make you so desperate for his presence that whatever he had to take away, he'd take it away as long as he took out the heart of stone and gave you a heart of flesh. And you begin to have his presence. Because what if God called you out of comfort into obedience? Most of the people who followed God in full obedience, it didn't always lead somewhere where life was super comfy. It got hard. Right? But you want to know why they navigated that, why they were drawn to it, why their highest joy and satisfaction and gladness and hope and peace was in it? Because God's presence was there. And they would rather have that than their comfort. What if God leads us to some hard places? Well, I don't like that. Right? Because it may very, very well be that the presence of God leads you to a place where all you have is complete and utter trust and dependence on him. A place where if you're leading yourself, you will never go. Just think about Israel. Think about Israel from the moment they left Egypt. Okay, they got 40 years of when they followed God well and when they followed themselves. But let me just point out a few places. In Exodus 13, it says that when they left Egypt, God could have taken them a shorter route to Canaan, but it would have taken them right through the Philistine territory, and God knew they were not ready for war. They were not ready for battle. So in, because the word says if they would have gone through there and there would have been war made, they would have turned around and ran back to Egypt. So God took them the long way, the hard way, but the best way. Because in that way, they were prepared to be obedient to what God was calling them to do. What's the point? Where the presence of God leads, God has a purpose. Think about Exodus 14. Here they are now. They've come out of Egypt. They are up against the Red Sea. That's an ocean, everybody. Hard to cross, right? They don't have a boat. They don't got a floaty. They don't have a pool noodle. They're stuck. They ain't going anywhere. And here comes Pharaoh ready to murder every man, woman, and child. They have nothing desperate for the power of God to move. He parts that ocean, makes a way. They walk over. Why? Because where the presence of God leads, God makes a way. Think about Exodus 16 and 17. Here they are now, out in this desert. There's no food. There's no water. 
They're starving and they are thirsty. So what does God do? He makes manna fall from heaven. He takes water out of a rock. Why? Because where God leads, God provides. Think about Joshua 9. God is leading them now toward the promised land and they come up on this fortified city with a massive army called Jericho. And God had told Joshua, 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 I'm giving this city into your hand. Y'all are going to conquer this city. But they could throw themselves against the walls of Jericho all day and all night, and it wouldn't have mattered. They would have all died there. But God said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take the Ark of the Covenant, my presence, and I want you to put it out in front of the people so that they have to follow my leading, and I want you to march around that city. I want you to do it every day for seven days, and on day seven, I want you to blow a trumpet and just see what I do. Now, no commander in the history of ever has ever thought, I'm gonna go take this city by going on a stroll and playing some music. Nobody, not a single one of them have ever done it, but yet God said, march around the city, being led by my presence, and on the seventh day, blow the trumpet. And they did, and he moved. Why? Because where the presence of God leads, God gives power. Israel didn't always know where they were going. They didn't know how they were going to get there. But what they knew was that God was with them and that God was leading them. And listen, when we walk in lockstep with God, that way, no matter where he leads, even when it's hard, we walk in the blessing and the power and the victory of God. This is the centrality of God's presence in our lives. When Israel walked, with God's presence being at the center of their life. And they were in obedience to that, in pursuit of his presence, always looking to him. When they walked that way, they never walked through that wilderness trying to avoid nations. They walked through that wilderness looking for nations to conquer. And too many of us walk through this life just trying to avoid defeat. But Jesus said, if you'll put the me, you'll put my presence in the center of your life and make me the priority, you'll stop living a life trying to avoid defeat because you'll have the victory that I provide. It'll be about living a life in victory. Does that mark you? Does victory over sin mark you? Is there an evidence in your life that God is delivering you? Or would you say, well, reality is, um, I pretty well stay stuck in the same sin. I've always been there. Pretty sure I'll die there. Are you ex have, you, have you invited the presence and the power of God into that? Have you invited the deliverance? Have you asked him to give you an exodus out of that? You think, all right, this all sounds amazing. This sounds amazing, Matt. But they had a cloud in the sky, and they had fire in the sky, and I feel like if I had a cloud, and I had fire floating over me every day, this would be a whole lot easier. Where's my cloud? Where's my fire? Let me have that. But I want you to hear me that in Christ, we have something greater than cloud and fire. 
Because John 1.14 says this, the word Jesus Christ became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. That word dwelt in the New Testament right there, John 14, that, that word is the Greek equivalent of the word tabernacle in Hebrew. So that you can really literally read this as Jesus, the word, became flesh and tabernacled among us, dwelt among us. Jesus is the greater Moses. He is the truer tabernacle and he came and made himself the fuller sacrifice so that we might experience the greater exodus. God, give us a heart that sees that, wants that, rejoices over that. For 50 days, they followed Moses out of Egypt. And God led them to a mountain where Moses goes up and experiences the presence of God after the Exodus. 50 days after the greater Exodus, when Jesus was resurrected, we find his followers in the upper room and once again, the presence of God falls in the power of the Holy Spirit. And from Acts chapter two on, once the presence of God fell, do you know what you find? You find the people of God living in the presence of God, walking in the power of God, accomplishing the mission of God. That's what you see. For the rest of the book of Acts, the church is built. Thousands come to faith. Why? Because when God's people get serious about God's presence, we get to go live on his mission. I love what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 22. Paul said that because of Jesus in him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. We are being built together into a dwelling place for God. But in Christ, we, we have become the new tabernacle of God. We are now the place God dwells. Pastor Todd said this this week, and I just thought it was so good. In the Old Testament, God made a temple for his people. But in the New Testament and in Christ, God has made his people as his temple. We are where he dwells. Is God dwelling in you? We don't need to cloud over us if we have the fire of the Holy Spirit in us. Have you experienced the greater exodus? Have you been brought out of darkness into light? Have you been saved from sin and been born again? That's called salvation. And I think a lot of people know about it and maybe did some little thing when they were a kid. But I would ask you, is your life marked by freedom from what Jesus says, I have set you free from? Or is your, marked, is your life marked by slavery to all the things Jesus sets us free from? Because if it's marked by slavery, I want to tell you something. You need to come and meet the greater Moses. You need to come and meet Jesus Christ. And once and for all, make him the Lord of your life and let him set you free. That's actually why you're here today. If you have been born again, are you walking in the full measure 
of God's presence. Is God's presence the central priority of your life? Or would you have to just confess, I've built a life that's pretty apathetic toward God. I hope you hear the Holy Spirit calling this morning, drawing you this morning. Because in a minute, we're going to stand in worship. And when we do, if you need to come and make Jesus the Lord of your life and be free and receive the exodus, he died for you to have out of death into life. If you need, you need to step out the moment Philip starts singing, you need to move. And for some of you, you need to step out and just get on your knees down here or turn around and hit your knees right where you're sitting just to say, Lord God, I have built a life that is completely apathetic toward you and I'm asking you to break my heart, crack it open and make me desperate for you. Make me desperate for your presence. Get me past the concession stand. Get me past the knockoff version of life that I'm living and give me the full measure. Let's stand. Father, thank you for your word. I'm just praying this morning, Father, that you would move among us, that your spirit would move among us. God, call us out of darkness into light in Jesus' name.